Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. Words create worlds and words create wars. The Nigerian poet Ben Okri writes, It sometimes seems to me that our days are poisoned with too many words. Words said and not meant. Words said and meant. Words divorced from feeling. Wounding words. Words that conceal. Words that reduce. Dead words. If only words were a kind of fluid that collects in the ears. If only they turned into the visible chemical equivalent of their true value. An acid. Or something curative. Then we might be more careful. Words do collect in us anyway. They collect in the blood, in the soul, and either transform or poison people's lives. Bitterness or thoughtless words poured into the ears of the young have blighted many lives in advance. We all know people whose unhappy lives twisted on a set of words, added to them on a certain unforgotten day at school, in childhood, or at university. We seem to think that words aren't things. A bump on the head may pass away, but a cutting remark grows with the mind. But then, it is possible that we know all too well the awesome power of words, which is why we use them with such deadly and accurate cruelty. We are all wounded inside, in some way or other. We all carry unhappiness within us for some reason or other, which is why we need a little gentleness and healing from one another. Healing in words and healing beyond words, like gestures, warm gestures, like friendship, which will always be a mystery, like a smile, which someone described as the shortest distance between two people. I think back on my own life between two people. I love what Ben writes there. I think back on my own life and the words that negatively affected me, words that caused me to feel less than or like I was too much or not enough, incapable, that I was a problem, words that made me feel that I needed to act like someone or someone other than who I truly was, Words that made me feel like I wouldn't amount to anything or like I didn't have anything valuable to contribute. Words spoken at me in anger or hatred, bitterness, names and labels that 
were stuck onto me that confined me and caused me to live out of a, a limited, a false self, words that were wounding, words that caused me to be ashamed of myself, shook me, caused me to feel like I, I couldn't trust the ground I stood on. Ultimately, words that made me unable to see the image of God in myself. Words reverberate. They echo in our memories. They grow. They spiral. They embed themselves. They send roots into our sense of identity. They distort our sense of who we are and alter the course of people's lives. So what if I could remove all those words from my life? What if I could remove their impact from my life? What would my story look like? And and what if the same was true for you? What if you could remove the words from your life that have damaged and wounded you. The spiritual journey of becoming who we truly are, who God created us to be, has always included pain and struggle. It's like peeling the layers of an onion back. But how much less painful would the journey be without all of those words that stuck and wounded and distorted and twisted my view of myself, twisted your view of yourself. And on the other hand, what if I could undo the words I've spoken over the years that wounded and damaged others? What if you could undo those words that you've spoken? Conflicts with beloved family members that went sideways, times when I let it rip, hit people below their belt, tore them down, made them feel small, Impatient and reactive parenting words spoken in moments of frustration. Gossip that I allowed to happen and even participated in. Random telemarketers or innocent phone people working for corporate America who I occasionally unloaded frustration with the system upon them as if they were responsible for the greed, the impersonal corruption, the exploitation careless, flippant words that I said that accidentally hit other people in soft spots, sensitive spots? When did I make others feel that they weren't enough or too much or that they were a problem or that they would never amount to anything, that they had nothing to contribute, that they needed to be someone other than who they are? When did I cause them to feel shame, sadness, fear? And what if I could undo those words? How did I negatively impact those people's journeys of becoming who God created them to be? Words create worlds, and words create wars. Words plant ideas that weren't there before, ideas that move people towards life or towards death. And the ancients knew this. In the ancient creation accounts, words were always understood to have intrinsic power. God spoke the world, the moon, the stars into existence. God named the first human. But God didn't just hold on to that meaning-making power for God's self. God gave that meaning-making power to humanity. God's very first gift to humanity was the creation of language, the power of naming all creation. The book of Genesis chapter 2 says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, 
and he brought them to the human to see what he would name them. And whatever the human called each living creature, that was its name. So the human gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, all the wild animals. And this was God's first invitation for humans to be God's co-workers, to continue God's creative activity in the world through the gift of language, the gift of naming. That act of naming was sacred from the beginning. God passed the capacity and the responsibility of naming onto humanity. None of us names ourself. We're given our name by others. Others help us figure out who God created us to be. Adam named Eve. Together they named their children. To name someone was always more than simply giving them a handle. It was more than letters on a sticker on your shirt. It's a statement about someone else's existence, their character, their core. It's to see them within the frame of God's creation, created in the image of God. It was to see who God created them to be in community and helping people know who they truly are and who they're created to be. The people in my life who named me helped me to see the image of God in myself. They helped me to believe that I had something vital to contribute to the whole and that I was created for a community and that I could be brave and, and be myself and that I didn't need to put on a mask and act like someone I'm not. Madeline Langle says, love makes persons know who they are. The people who named me enabled me to look in the mirror and see the image of God in myself because they were telling me in a hundred different ways, you are exactly what God had in mind when God created you. And it's amazing when someone is named, they begin to believe that they are exactly what God had in mind when God created them. And they begin to inhabit themselves to become that truth. They've, they fill out. They come to life. So this brings us to our passage today in the book of James, a passage about the power of words. James chapter 3. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. And anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of injustice among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, 
and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James starts from the beginning, admitting that this is a hard thing to talk about because we all stumble. So he's recognizing he doesn't have this all figured out. He doesn't have his words mastered. But everything he has to say about the tongue flows out of his reading of the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2. He believes that every single person that you encounter is created in the image of God. Your spouse, your children, your long-lost cousin, the person in tattered shreds living near the Hoquarton Slough, the 50-year-old ardent Trump supporter and gunner, the wealthy Ukrainian refugee trying to build a new life, on the coast, the impoverished Honduran refugee who couldn't find a job ever until moving here, the brown-skinned trans woman, the 20-year-old video gamer living in their parents' basement, the impoverished woman with six children working in a sweatshop in Cambodia, the grocery store clerk, the veteran drug addict struggling with PTSD, the 80-year-old white evangelical, the policeman, a politician you can't stand whose platform you view as pure evil, the know-it-all person at work who drives you nuts, your in-laws, the person who you like least on the entire planet, and even yourself when you look in the mirror. Every single person you encounter is created in the image of God. They exist within God or they wouldn't be able to function. Now in the ancient world, everyone understood that defacing or insulting or cursing the image of the king was considered the same as insulting or assaulting the king in person. So to curse someone made in the image of God is to curse God. And Jesus says it this way. He says, inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. So in the ancient world, to bless someone or to curse them meant something more than simply having evil wishes for them or good wishes for them. Words were understood to have more power than that. To curse someone was to expose them to a sphere of destructive power. Curses were understood to work effectively against someone until that power was all used up. And James uses the image of fire to describe these words that curse. Words have this power to be warm and welcoming, like a nice, cozy campfire, or devastating and uncontrollable, like a wildfire. You're sitting around a campfire in the forest. You let a few stray sparks go flying, a few stray words, and you could claim they're completely harmless and no big deal, but they turn lethal and catch in a dry place, the vulnerable space of someone's heart, 
and the flames erupt. They spread, they grow, the words echo and reverberate and spiral, and relationships become chaotic, and work and emotions and mental health and sleep and functioning and physical health are all impacted. And by the time anyone realizes there's a problem, things are out of control and falling apart. And like thousands of acres charred and destroyed, words can leave people without a place to belong, without support, without loved ones, without a good way forward. Lives can be permanently altered. And curses work like this. They cause devastation until their power is all used up. James says the tongue is a world of injustice. It corrupts the whole body, altering the course of people's lives, and is itself set on fire by Gehenna, or hell. Now, that word Gehenna was an idiom. People hear that word these days, and they're thinking like the dwelling place of Satan and demons. But in James' day, uh, Gehenna was a valley. It was a gorge that bent around the west and the southern side of Jerusalem, the Valley of Hinnom. And it's a valley with quite a history. It's been said to have been become Jerusalem's garbage dump. It was where those who were condemned, cast out of the city, tried to eke out a survival, and where dead carcasses and unburied bodies were burned, maggot-infested, smoldering. It was literally the place where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. And so just as those fires fed on the garbage of humanity and never went out, James saw the tongue in a similar lethal way. The tongue always has a fire burning. It's always poised to send out condemnation and destruction. There's no such thing as mastering your tongue in such a way that now you don't need to worry about what you say. Now you don't need to be extremely careful about wounding someone, unnaming someone, causing destruction when you speak. The tongue is always lethal. It could always do damage. It could always destroy. When students take driver's ed courses, it's impressed upon them that anytime they're behind the wheel, they hold lethal power in their hands, that they need to be alert because today could be the day that they carelessly, accidentally take someone's life, alter the course of their life. Uh, similarly, when students take hunter safety courses, they learn a similar lesson that about the, the lethal power of a rifle that they hold in their hands, that every moment that that gun is in their hands, that they must be aware. We don't tend to have that view. Some of these things that are viewed as lethal or life-giving, we don't tend to have that view of words. Most people say an average of 7,000 words per day, but often we speak without thinking. We just say things flippantly. We tell ourselves no one's paying attention. I can always say I didn't mean it. I can always take it back. In a society that values free speech, it's easy to have an attitude of, well, I'm going to say what I'm going to say and let the chips fall where they may. I don't mince my words for anyone. And so we fail to realize the life-giving and the lethal power of our words. And so 
James is using this kind of imagery to bring us to a point of self-examination about the blessings and the curses that come out of our mouths. His image evokes this picture of a forked tongue, a tongue that's going in two completely opposite directions, uh, blessings and curses, which ultimately destroy not only others' lives, but ours as well. Now, the classic picture, a somewhat graphic curse, is to like say to someone, damn you. Because in the, in the sense that James is using this word, a curse is like a prayer of condemnation and destruction against someone. But there are a thousand different ways that you can speak a curse without saying that. A curse can be any time that you say something that makes someone unable to see the image of God in themselves. You're unnaming them. So this includes words that communicate that someone is less than or too much or not enough or incapable. Words that tell them they aren't accepted, that they, they need to try to be someone else. Words that make them feel like they won't amount to anything, that they don't have anything valuable to contribute, that they're a problem. Names and labels that you put on people, reactive words, spoken anger or hatred or bitterness, shaming words, any words that cause someone to look in the mirror and doubt that they are exactly what God had in mind when God created them, any words you speak that create a distorted world where the image of God in that person is omitted or ignored. These are words that function as a curse. And the power of those words will ripple. It will reverberate until that power is all used up. So in the midst of a world echoing and reverberating with curses and unnaming, Jesus taught people to bless those who curse you. The Apostle Paul says, bless and do not curse in Romans 12. So how is it that you communicate to others, hey, you're exactly who God had in mind? How do you communicate that in the midst of a busy day full of phone calls and stress and deadlines and squabbling children and reactive family members and impatient customers, and cranky co-workers, and demanding bosses, and nosy neighbors, and judgy relatives. Somehow, we must find a way to see the image of God in them, that they are exactly who God had in mind. Before you see the frustration, or the pain, or the wounds, or the fear, or the sadness that they're causing you right now in this moment, can you see the person God sees? The person who God created them to be, who they are at their deepest core, their truest self, who God made them to be. Seeing that may require you to pause, to stop and breathe deeply, to pray, to forgive. Yeah, they might be living out of their own wounds, their own false sense of self, their own limited or false labels that have been stuck on them. They may be making any number of destructive choices that 
have been wounding to you, it might require you to talk less, to set aside your perspective, your opinions, your certainties, so that you can gain a clear view of them. It might require you to do some journaling, some processing, or maybe you need a physical reminder, like an old Catholic priest I encountered once who would touch his face, make the shape of a cross over his mouth as a reminder that he wanted his words to flow out of Christ within him. Until you can see that at their core they are exactly who God had in mind, it's doubtful that your words will feel like a blessing. It's doubtful that they will sense that you're speaking well of them and wishing them well and empowering them to believe that they have something vital to contribute to the community. Before you speak, can you see the person God sees in them? Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.